let's just give the Lord a hand clap of praise for all of his mercy, all of his grace. And even on this day, this Valentine's Day, uh, basking in the love of God's grace, basking in the love that God has manifested upon us through his son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. So again, thank you to our praise team, Sister Ann, Brother Ronnie, uh, Sister Pauletta, Brother Jeremiah, Brother Nehemiah, uh, everyone who uh, is participating and uh, helps prepare us for God's preached word on this morning. Amen. Yeah, if you can. Welcome this morning to this church gathered at Forest Baptist. And as the Lord has brought us through yet another week, uh, that's definitely another uh, sign of uh, his faithfulness and his kindness unto us. And always, as we say on Sunday mornings, even though we are the church scattered, uh, in, in God's grace, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we are still the church gathered in one body. And this morning, uh, as one body, we will observe the Lord's Supper. So at the conclusion of this morning's sermon, uh, make sure you have your elements together and we will partake of the Lord's Supper together. But let us go ahead and dig into God's word this morning. So if you would, please turn with me to Matthew, the 12th chapter. Matthew, the 12th chapter, we're sim simply looking at verses 38 through 42. Matthew, the 12th chapter, we're looking at verses 38 through 42. If you are able, please stand with us for the reading of God's word this morning. Matthew, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 38. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ speaking to us this morning. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, Something greater than Solomon is here. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The subject of this morning's sermon is what proof will you need to believe? What proof will you need to believe? Let us go before the Lord in prayer this morning and ask him to bless our time together. Oh, Lord, our God, how excellent is thy name above the earth. 
You are indeed glorious and faithful, wonderful and kind, and your steadfast love and faithfulness is from everlasting to everlasting. Father, thank you how you even just brought us through another week, Lord. That is a demonstration of your kindness. That's a demonstration of your mercy. That is a demonstration of your love because, Lord, we don't deserve another day. We don't deserve another breath, but yet in spite of who we are, you came and you redeemed and you are keeping So because of that, dear God, we say thank you. Thank you for your majesty that you have so awesomely revealed to us through your word, through King Jesus. And thank you for this text that is before us this morning, dear God, because you are giving us every single thing we need in order to trust in you. So, Father, I ask that you would prepare our hearts and minds, that you would please forgive us for our sins, that we would be able to draw near unto thee. Father, for our sins, I do ask that you would forgive us, that you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, I ask that you would glorify yourself through all that is spoken, all that is done. Father, have mercy on your people. You promised that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Lord, give us strength today. Give us help and the hope that we need in order to honor you rightly and to obey. We do love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Still getting an echo. You know, way, way back in 2007, a marketing campaign was launched to celebrate the uh, basketball superstar of LeBron James. And if you remember, this uh, particular marketing campaign was, had the catchphrase, we are all witnesses. And it was put on the side of a building, and you had LeBron James. And, and what they were talking about is the fact that we were all witnesses to his greatness on the court, that we didn't have to uh, hear it secondhand, but uh, right in front of us, right in front of all of the NBA fans and specifically the Cleveland Cavaliers, was this individual who was performing amazing accomplishments on the court. And all who were watching, they were all witnesses. And when we think about that, the fact that because of television, because of the Internet, because of all these different uh, technologies, we are all witnesses to all kinds of things these days. We are all witnesses of, of, of all manner of historic events. Even though we're not physically in those places, we still are witnesses. One only needs to say dates like 9-11. And we remember in our mind that we were all witnesses. We only need to say dates such as January 6th to recall images blazing across the television screens. In a sense, no matter where you are, uh, because of these technologies, we are all witnesses and we see what is taking place. And since we are all witnesses, it, it would seem that seeing the same proof would lead to the same perspectives, the same outcomes, and the same beliefs because we are all witnesses to the same proof, right? 
as much as we would hope that to be true, we see that uh, there are many times when eyewitness accounts and video evidence is still not enough proof. Think back with me quite a few years now, and many thought video evidence of Rodney King's horrific beating would be enough proof, yet it wasn't. Many thought video evidence of Eric Gardner's cries of I can't breathe would be enough proof, yet it wasn't. Many thought video evidence of an armed insurrection would be enough proof, yet it wasn't. There are those who no matter how much proof they uh, are confronted with, their hearts are just too hard to receive and believe the truth. And this morning, we are all witnesses to such a group because in the text before us, the scribes and the Pharisees have made it quite evident that no matter what Jesus said, no matter what Jesus does, no matter the mounting evidence pointing to Jesus as Messiah, they would not believe the truth. To believe the truth of who Jesus was, these religious leaders would actually have to do something. To believe the truth of who Jesus was, these religious leaders would actually have to lay down their pride. They would actually need to lay down their own glory. They would need to lay down their power. They would need to lay down their lives in order to acknowledge the truth of the proof. Beloved, when we think about our days, and even in our own lives, when it comes down to laying down our pride, laying down our glory, laying down our power and our pleasure, many of us just won't do it in spite of the proof that Jesus has given us to who he really is. Beloved, the, the question running throughout today's sermon is, what proof do you need to believe? And I would argue that no matter what, no matter the proof that you think you need, no matter the proof that you may uh, have come up with that, that if you see this, this would change your whole, your whole heart. Uh, I would argue this morning that no matter what you think you need, Jesus has already provided more than enough. In fact, uh, our big idea for this morning is that Jesus's life, death and resurrection is enough proof for you to believe and to be saved. His life, death, and resurrection is more than enough proof for you to believe and to be saved. Look here in the text in verse 38 as we, as we jump in, into the text. And what I want you to notice here firstly is that a rejection of Jesus' proof is denial of truth. The Pharisees and, and scribes' rejection of Jesus' proof is the denial of the very truth that they're looking for. In verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now, this question is, is, is really interesting uh, because even after all that Jesus has done, the, the scribes and the Pharisees uh, claim that they want a sign. See, this is strange because if we just look uh, uh, one paragraph back, we see that Jesus is performing exor exorcisms. 
He is causing the, the deaf and the mute to, to speak because of his miraculous power. If we look further back, we see that Jesus had given sight to the blind. He had healed paralytics. He had calmed the storm. He had even brought this dead child back to life. And the Pharisees and scribes are standing there talking about, show us some more, Jesus. You know, it is outrageous that they would be asking for additional signs, but I actually believe that they're, they're, they're trying to point at something below the surface. They're, they're trying to point at something a little more specific. And, and in asking for a sign, what the scribes and the Pharisees are actually asking for is a direct intervention from heaven. Well, what do you mean a direct intervention from heaven? They, they are speaking in terms of, uh, uh, of signs similar to the such as Moses before Pharaoh. In Exodus, the fourth chapter, as God is giving Moses instructions to, to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. He says, and as you go, I'm going to give you some signs to, to perform while you're in the presence of Pharaoh in order to, to indicate to Pharaoh and his family and, and his people that you are from God. And, and this is when Moses and Aaron stands before Pharaoh and he, and he, lay, he drops his stick and becomes a serpent. And, and then he... He takes his stick and he, he touches it into the Red Sea and it becomes blood. And, and all of those signs that Moses is doing is for the purpose of showing Pharaoh that God is speaking, that God is in their midst. Or, or think about the time in the Old Testament, in Testament where uh, Elijah is confronting Ahab and the prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal are, are uh, the people are worshiping the prophets of Baal. And then Elijah shows up and says, look, stop, stop trying to half step. Stop trying to dance in between. If you believe that God is God, then serve him. If you believe that Baal is God, then serve him. And, and let us show, let me show you just who is the real God. And, and he comes before Ahab, Ahab and all the prophets of Baal. And he challenges them to a contest of, of lighting this altar on fire. And, and as the prophets of Baal are, 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 are dancing around this, this altar, as they are trying to call down fire for heaven, nothing is taking place. Then Elijah steps in, and with a few simple words, God pours out fire upon that altar, burns up the sacrifice, burns up all the water they have poured, and demonstrates a sign that God is present and awesome. These signs not only happen in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, we see that the apostles were able to perform a number of signs to indicate that they were from God and that their message had the power to redeem and to deliver and to provide salvation. Whenever uh, 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 Paul or Peter, uh, John touched someone or, or even just walking past and they were being healed by their shadows, those were signs to show the people that they could listen to them and believe that they were from God. I believe this is what the scribes and Pharisees were looking for. They were looking for a specific divine intervention from heaven. See, but in trying to nuance and, and skate and dance around what they had already seen, the scribes and the Pharisees were attempting 
to reject the proof of who Jesus was over a procedural technicality. They were trying to say, well, see, Jesus, because you didn't do it this way, we really can't believe you. Uh, but, but because it wasn't written down just so, we, we can't believe you. And, and, and they were trying to dismiss the truth of who Jesus was over this procedural technicality, even though the evidence and the proof was overwhelming, and they should have recognized Jesus for who they was. Because of their hard hearts, they just wanted a out to deny the truth. In rejecting all the proof of who Jesus is, the religious elites are recklessly denying the truth. You know, Jesus talks about these very people later on in Matthew. In Matthew, the 23rd chapter, he talks about who he's dealing with. Matthew, the 23rd chapter, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. Watch this. Watch this. Jesus' words are not just relevant 2,000 years ago. Jesus' words are relevant today. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Jesus is saying, you, you on the outside, you act like you're doing everything right, but when it comes to things that really matter, you're overlooking what you're supposed to be doing. You're overlooking the reason why you were sent to Washington. I mean, why you were sent to Jerusalem to be leaders over the people. You are, you are not doing what you're supposed to do. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What were the weightier matters of the law? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You're trying to pick and choose what laws and what things you're going to be obedient to. When you're neglecting the very things that you're supposed to be doing. Justice, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And then he says, verse 24, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a, a camel. You, you so concerned about the details that you missing the big picture. You, 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 you so concerned about those small things, but yet you let the big things slide. Jesus is saying these are the kind of folks he's dealing with in the scribes and the Pharisees, the people who want their way so bad that they're willing to ignore all of the evidence. They're willing to ignore the, all of the proof, and they're, they're willing to deny the very truth that they're supposed to be standing upon, but instead they are doing what they want to do, denying Jesus. Beloved, we don't have to look far to see this reality. We don't have to look at the scribes and Pharisees. We can look at our very own lives where we can get so caught up in what we want that we look past the truth. 
Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. We get so caught up in the things of this world that we want on our own terms that we look past the truth. You knew he was crazy when you met him. You knew she was uh, crazy when you met her. Don't act like it's brand new. You was just looking past the truth because it was a pretty picture. You knew that job wasn't for you. You knew you couldn't perform it, but now everyone's on your back. You knew that boss, you knew that house was too big. You knew that car cost too much, and now you're struggling. Uh, all because you didn't want to believe the truth. Jesus is saying to us this morning, don't reject the proof of who he is and ultimately deny the truth. Beloved, we need truth tellers in our lives. Those people who are willing to say those hard things, not out of animosity, not out of wickedness, not out of meanness, but out of love. And beloved, we would do well to shut our mouths sometimes and just listen to what God is saying through his word and through his people that we would not be guilty of denying the truth. Not only do we see the scribes and Pharisees' rejection of the proof denying the truth, but we also see how their rejection of Jesus' truth leads to eternal reproof, eternal rebuke. So it's not that they're just denying the truth and nothing is going to happen, but because they are denying the truth, there's an ultimate judgment that's coming for them. Jesus talks about this in verses 39 through 42, and he says, But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for, their, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. What is Jesus talking about? Where to begin in verse 39, Jesus, he is pointing to the source of their unbelief. And the reason why they don't, they dismiss this proof. The reason why they're looking past the evidence is simply because of their evil and adulterous hearts. Because of their own sinfulness and wickedness. See, the, their, their outside actions, their outside beliefs just, uh, just expose and reveal the people who, uh, for who they are. Jesus had just said in verses 33 through 37, a tree is known by its fruit. And, and he said a, a good tree cannot produce good fruit, but a uh, I mean, a good tree produces good fruit and not bad fruit, but a bad tree cannot produce good fruit, but only bad. And what Jesus is saying is that they're, because on the inside they are filled with evil and wickedness, and uh, he says they're an adulterous generation. They, they, are, uh, they are sinfully seeking 
their own glory and other pleasures over God. In this covenant communion that they have. But as they are doing that, it is just evidence of their sinful and wicked hearts. Evidence is not the issue. Their, their unbelieving hearts is the issue. And, and, and in proving this, Jesus gives them a lesson in the Scriptures. The very ones that, that should know the Scriptures, that should be uh, familiar with the Scriptures. And he points these religious scholars to two instances where proof of God's presence was clearly seen. And he points them to the story of Jonah and the story of Solomon. In the story of Jonah, in the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, we see that God calls his prophet Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and to preach, to tell them that because of their sin, judgment is, is coming upon them. And, 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 and as God is calling his man to go to, to, to Nineveh and preach this message of repentance and hope, uh, of this message of deliverance, Jonah doesn't, was, doesn't want to go, and he ends up going the opposite way and ends up on a ship to Tarshish. While on that ship, a raging storm comes, and the ship is about to sink, and uh, after much conversation, he just tells them, you know what, this storm's here because of me, because I ain't doing what God told me what to do. On, like on a sad note, we can, we can run with that, right? Because uh, many times when we run away from what God wants us to do, he'll put us on a ship with a lot of raging waters. He will get our attention. And God gets Jonah's attention. And Jonah says, hey, if y'all want to live, y'all need to throw me overboard. And as they throw him overboard, though he should rightly die, God saves him. And he saves him in Jonah, the third chapter, in an interesting way. In Jonah, the third chapter, verses 4 and 5, Jonah is saved because it says, I'm sorry, uh, Jonah, the first chapter, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We see that even in his rebellion, God has grace and sends this large fish. Now, the text doesn't say it was a whale, a great fish, and this fish swallows him, and he's in there for three days and three nights. But after three nights of, of hardcore prayer to the Lord, the fish vomits him out on the, the shore. And in that moment, instead of turning back, he, God says, now go do what I called you to do. And he preaches to Nineveh. And in Jonah, the third chapter, beginning with verse 4, this is what happens. happens. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He, he's walking through the city preaching that because of their sin and rebellion, that their city will, will, will face judgment. But then in verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. So at, at Jonah's appearance, at, at Jonah's preaching, the, the, this people, this pagan people hear and believe God. They, they hear the evidence, they, they hear the proof, and they don't turn away, but they turn towards and they press in. Jonah's deliverance and Jonah's 
presence was enough proof for Nineveh to repent. And, and, what, and what Jesus is saying here in Matthew, the fact that uh, the only sign that they were going to get was the sign of the prophet of, of Jonah, the three days and three nights in the belly of this great fish, those Jesus himself will be delivered unto death. And for three days and three nights, he will be in the tomb. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ will testify to the fact that he is the Messiah. That all that he did is true, that all that he said is true, and that those who, who repent of their sin and trust in him for salvation would be saved. The resurrection is God's stamp of approval on Jesus's, on Jesus's earthly ministry, saying that he is the Messiah pointing to the fact that when Jesus gets up from the grave, that is the testament and testimony to who he is. But then Jesus points to Solomon, King Solomon, David's son, through Bathsheba. And the Bible tells us that King Solomon, he was the wisest, the most discerning. He was the, uh, the richest and most honorable king. And when Jesus says the queen of the south, he's referring to a time in, in 1 Kings, the 10th chapter, where the queen of Sheba uh, comes to visit Solomon because she has heard such wonderful things about him. And, and, and she is wealthy and, 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 and powerful in her own right, yet she comes to hear this wisdom. And, and the text says the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame concerning the name of the Lord. He was a witness to God's greatness and his power. This country, Sheba, was in the Arabian kingdom some 1,200 miles from Jerusalem in modern-day Yemen, and her and all her entourage, they, they trekked thousands of miles in order to go see this man. And in 1 Kings, the 10th chapter, verses 6 through 9, her report is this, and she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe, ha, I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes have seen. I got to see the proof for myself. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. So the queen of Sheba, she's down at her crib. She's down at her house, and she hears how God has raised up this awesome and wise man, and she has to see it for herself. And she says, I heard it, and I didn't believe it, and when I seen it, it still amazed me. Beloved, when God is showing us the proof of who Jesus is, it's not like we should see the, see the proof and be like, okay, yeah, I believe. We should see the proof of King Jesus laying down his life and be amazed that he would lay down his life for a sinner such as ourselves. Solomon's wisdom and wealth was enough proof. 
Nineveh heard the truth and believed. The queen of Sheba heard the truth and believed. But, and, and so Jesus' point right here is you're asking for a sign. Yet the testimonies uh, of Jonah and Solomon, uh, they actually stand in rebuke to you because these pagan Gentile nations heard from God and they just believed. They just believed. They repented. They, they blessed. So for the, the scribes and the Pharisees, by rejecting these Old Testament signs, they placed themselves in direct opposition to the gospel to the, these Gentiles' gospel witness. By rejecting the old, these Old Testament signs, the scribes and Pharisees placed themselves in the direct path of these Gentiles' condemnation, their reproof, their rebuke, because they're saying, we want to see a sign. And Jesus says, there it was in the Scriptures already. And as a matter of fact, on Judgment Day, they're going to point their fingers at you and say, here it is, we're Gentiles, and we just heard the word of God. But in your face was God himself. You were supposed to be the people of God. You were supposed to be the church folks. You were the ones who was raised in Sunday school. You were the ones who went to vacation Bible school. You were the ones who went to revival. You were the ones who served on the, the deacon board. You were the ones who sat with the mothers. You were the ones who rode with the trustees. You were the ones who did your Bible drills. You were the ones at church all the time, but yet you still don't believe. But we did when we just heard. What a rebuke. Jesus says, you're asking for a sign, but something even greater is here. Jesus is the greater sign that they're asking for. And because Jesus is the greater sign, they are without excuse. He's right there in front of them. Beloved, how many, how many times in your own life has Jesus given you enough proof? How many times in your own life ha, ha, have you doubted the next day, but Jesus reminds you of yesterday? How many times in your own life have you, have you thought, well, I, I'm not going to have enough bread. I'm not going to have enough gas. I'm not going to have enough. But then Jesus reminds you that hey, if I took care of you yesterday, I can still take care of you today and I can take care of you tomorrow. If I was faithful to you when you was a child, I would still be faithful for you today. How many times does Jesus need to prove to us that he is who he is, the great I am? Time and time again. Jesus is showing us proof and evidence that we can believe him. Beloved, we see that proof wasn't really the issue with the scribes and the Pharisees. It was just a heart that refused to submit and surrender to Jesus. So even as you think about that, as you think today, what what heart issue is really the cause of your unbelief? What, what sin are you holding so dear to that you don't want to forsake for a life with King Jesus? What sense of pride, what sense of power, what sense of glory are you holding on to instead of 
surrendering to King Jesus because he's given us enough proof. As a matter of fact, ask yourself, what proof of Jesus's presence in my life am I choosing to overlook? (laughs) What proof of Jesus's presence are you choosing to look past? Has not Jesus provided? Has not he put food on your table? Has he not put clothes on your back? Has he not woke you up this morning in your right mind with a decent portion of hell? Has not God been faithful to you? Don't look past that. Don't look past that like the scribes were. Because we see in the text that the scribes and the Pharisees, they were far from God. They were really far from God. But this is what's crazy. Even though they were so far from God, their hope of heaven was never based on their distance from God. Their hope of heaven always lied in the, uh, uh, always was found in their proximity to something greater. Jesus. What Jesus is saying is that if, if there was hope for Nineveh, this pagan Gentile nation, there's still hope for you. If there was hope for the queen of the south and, and Sheba, this pagan Gentile nation, then there's still hope for you. And what Jesus is saying is that through my life, my life, not your life, through my life, death and resurrection, there's enough hope for you to believe. But even more importantly, it's through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. There's not just enough proof to believe. There's enough truth to be saved. The truth that Jesus left glory and put on humanity was more than enough for you to be saved. The truth that Jesus walked the dusty roads of of Galilee, healing the, the blind and giving sight and, 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 and causing miracles to take pl- place. That's more than enough. The fact that Jesus lived a life that you could not live and died the death that you deserve, that's, that's more than enough. So as Jesus has given more than enough truth, he's saying, trust in me today. And if there's never been a moment where you have trusted in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if there's never a moment where you acknowledge all of the proof and accepted him as your truth, if you've never done that, I encourage you to look to Jesus today and believe. Look to the text of Scripture. Look to to the people of God. Look to Jesus and his power and his resurrection and the fact that not only did he arise from the grave, but that he's coming back for his people. Look to Jesus and believe. But then for those who who have made a profession of faith but are struggling, I say to you, look to Jesus and hold on. Because the fact that Jesus has already secured a salvation for his people, we don't have to fight for victory. We fight from victory, and we are more than conquerors waiting on Jesus to return. We just hold on. So again, I ask you, How many signs will it take for you to trust in Jesus? What more proof do you need? Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is enough proof for you to believe 
and be saved. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your glorious faithfulness, for how you love us and how you laid down your life so that we would have life. Thank you for testimony after testimony through your word. Just how you are a good, good father and you are a good, good savior. So, Father, thank you for your majestic and mighty word. We pray that you will use this to to draw someone near to you today, that you've given us enough proof. We just merely need to believe and be saved. Please save today, O God. In Jesus' name we do say.